Town Hall Academy, episode 46. Be a strong leader. People, people will take cues from the leader. Eyes are constantly on the leader. Right? And the behavior that you exhibit, right? your people will, will follow, will watch and say, hey, here, here's the behavior I see from the leader. Here's behavior that I, I'm left to think is appropriate for, right, to fit into this culture. Right? So if, if you're a leader worth following, that, that, will, that will literally make your culture 10 times better immediately. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Welcome, automotive aftermarket professionals, to the Town Hall Academy, episode 46, as we discuss revving up your business culture. You can argue one of the most important strategies of a sustainable business. Carm Capriato here, thanking Jasper Engines and Transmissions for the support of the Town Hall Academy. When a car's engine or transmission fails, it's not the end of the road. So when this situation arises and you need to decide, remember a remanufactured drivetrain product from Jasper Engines and Transmissions will give your customer's vehicle a new lease on life. Joining me for this academy on revving up your business culture is Kirk Richardson, owner of South Street Auto Care in Rochester, Michigan. Eric Svedberg, owner of Automotive Specialists in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and Bill Greeno, owner of Quality Automotive and Smog in Truckee, California. Today's podcast has a sister video. If you want to see the discussion in action and see our pretty faces, you can find it at remarkableresults.biz slash A046. The audio podcast is there and also a link to all the podcasts my guests have been featured on. Are you a podcast insider? Join the new episode release newsletter. Find it at remarkableresults.biz slash social. Love to have you. If you're looking to improve your business, please look to the many Academy episodes that are your own personal audio learning lab. We've covered many trending topics that provide the perfect chance to hear how your colleagues look at every opportunity. Your learning curve never sounded so good. A building a strong business culture can be one of the hardest things a business owner can do. It's one of the key principles in the business that you cannot touch. It's the soft stuff. So for many, it's tough to get your hands around it. This Academy panel does a great job explaining culture and shows you many ways to implement and lead it. Please give this episode your due. Listen a few times. I've compiled the talking points or the cliff notes for this episode at remarkableresults.biz slash A046. The power of a strong business culture can be one of your biggest differentiators as a business. Use this episode to rev up or start to create your own strong culture. Now, join the lesson with Kirk Richardson, Bill Greeno, and Eric Svedberg. Glad to have you guys here. Okay, culture. You know, a strong business culture is critical, the pundits say, and the guys who are running a great business say, to sustaining a business that attracts great team members who care about your customer. Because they care about themselves and the team and the company. And building that, for many, seems to be a, a daunting task. And I want to go to you, Bill, right away. You've got a great stat to share with us. The Deloitte Company is an international consulting and business company that, that did a great um, bit of work on employee culture. 68% of employees believe that their company is not doing enough 
to create a positive culture at work. The other part of that survey is, uh, is that 91% of the companies that have invested in their culture uh, see that in their, in their financials at the end of each year. So it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sure is. And, you know, could you just give us an overview? By the way, everyone, Bill does teach a culture class for the Institute, right? That's correct. In fact, uh, uh, a, a little plug, STX this year, I'll be teaching this class. It's my favorite class to teach. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, so culture is something that that is... It, it's like online presence. If you don't manage it, it will be managed for you. If you don't, if you don't pay attention to it, uh, the culture that you're going to get, because there's always a culture, may not be the one that you intend. Aha. There's the secret. So it's a full-time job. Yes, it is. For everyone. For everyone in the company. I think uh, Kirk was, was talking about that in some of his notes. Mm-hmm. Kirk, curating culture. You say it's hard work. It is hard work. It's so I bought, I've owned shops for 11 years. I bought a pretty large shop about four years ago and I walked in the door and I said, we need to shift the culture. And literally every day for the last four years, right? We have spent time working on culture. You know, it is, it is a never ending process and it is hard work. And it's not only is it hard work, it's, it's gut wrenching work because you're, you're looking at people and, you know, you're really talking about these abstract, abstract topics. Um, you know, some, some of it is very behavioral oriented and you're looking at people and saying, Hey, that behavior that is natural to you, that is your norm is not the norm, right? With what we're doing or, right. Which is gut wrenching, looking at people constantly and saying, Hey, not, not, not going to work, um, you know, is hard work and that takes time, right? And it is a never ending battle and it is something that we constantly assess. So yeah, you got to, if you want, if you have some vision for a culture and you want it, you, you better be willing to do the work day in, day out. Right? This isn't a send out oil change coupons and I'll assess six months from now. Um, this is a, right, the day you start it, it, it never stops. You know, it's so interesting with, with both of you just said these abstract things. It's got to be so tough. And, and Eric, let me ask you, because I know you're about ready to reinvent your culture and take it from, I don't know where it is now on a scale of one to 10, if it's a three or four and you're, you're looking to go to a 10. I mean, are you looking at this as an, as an Everest to climb? Is your team on board? I think I'd look at it that way if I didn't have a business coach that uh, is helping me get there. Um, if I was doing it on my own, it would definitely not be easy. But if with some guidance and kind of been there, done that, I think we can make it and it'll go much smoother. So let's get into some brass tacks, guys. Culture. It's about the values and beliefs and the basic underlying assumptions that are true for the business and the team. And so I think it may have been you, Kirk. We found someone doing something right and we, we, we build that into our, call. hey, this is, this is the exact thing that we need to do as a team, and why and how does it affect what we do as a company and our customer? Because when you catch people doing the things that are right for the business culture and the team, why it's hard work is you have to be looking for every positive and looking for every positive negative. Is this, is this true, guys? Absolutely. Yeah. It's culture is culture is bred from what we as, as owners and, and managers pay attention to. 
if if our staff sees Kirk paying attention to uh, their behavior, then they're going to understand that their behavior directly affects the culture. If if uh, Eric's staff sees him uh, bringing in a business coach, boy, does that ever uh, put some some gravity to the the situation that 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 he has talked to them about, which obviously here is is culture. I think that um, one of the one of the places where we can jump into brass tacks um, where we can help our staff to be um, self-regulating in their culture is, is by sharing numbers with them. It's, it's a piece of the equation that pun intended, I guess uh, it's a piece of the equation that that we don't often talk about. We talk about um, activities and, and being a, being a, a good team and doing team building activities uh, to, to, to culminate this, this great feel good. But what we really want at the end of the day is everyone self-managing in, in our culture, I would, I would argue, and, and sharing what it is that we want from each person, whether it's a technician and its productivity, whether it's a service advisor and its average repair order, um, whether it's ourselves and we're looking at car count and we're sharing car count. And during slow periods, we talk with our staff about what we can do during those slow periods. Um, this becomes a, a culture where people pay attention to the security of the company. And the company, in, in my estimation also, has to be seen as a, a standalone figure outside of just the, uh, the owner. So often people are, talk about me and mine and my company and me. I'd rather talk about the company and the health of the company. Our company. Our company. That's a good segue to uh, where we're starting. So um, we're setting up individual goals and company goals. We're about to move our location about a month and a half to a bigger location, and we're taking on more staff at that location. So right now the business coach and myself are setting up goals for each individual position, each individual company goals. And we're going to be working with that. Um, I think that's a good starting point to repair or improve culture. Um, So at least we're all on the same page and going the same direction. Hey, I'm with Brian Weeks from ATC Auto Center. Brian, why Jasper engines and transmissions? So I think Jasper, the reason why we uh, chose to deal primarily with Jasper is, uh, the quality of the product and the people. I know that it is a uh, associate-owned company, but it's more about the people. They do what they do uh, in this industry that is tough, and they stay on top of the cutting-edge engineering, changing and maybe developing ways around uh, known problems and issues. So they're adding value. They're making things better. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, They're taking a situation that you may have a common failure with and going in, taking it apart, going through the engineering, the R&D department saying, okay, how can we make this better? And then from that standpoint, it comes to us that at the end of the day, the end user gets much more value for the dollar that they spend. Hey, Brian, thanks for your time. Carm, thank you. Okay, so here... Here's what I'm hearing. Here's also what I believe. If you have the title CEO, owner, president at the end of your name, you aren't the only person responsible for the culture in your company. No. Bill and Eric, I sort of want to push on something. Um, you know, so when I think about culture, I, I think about, you know, 
behaviors. I think about norms. I think about far broader than numbers. I, I would, you know, and, and I think performance is part of right. What you know is part of a culture. Um, I, I think when we start to get into numbers and we start to say, I, I want this much production, I want this much sales per service advisor, right? That that, that can certainly be a function of culture. I, I think there's a much broader um, there's a much broader part of part of culture that we miss, which are these small little nuanced. Uh, behavioral items right so i you know we talk about culture a ton so i i went downstairs and uh you know I, we got five service advisors and i asked them i said hey what do you think of our culture and here, here's what the words that came out humor warmth helpful um village accountable reliable mentoring um encouraging right none of those are we produce a lot of hours Right. So I do what I don't want, what I would never want anybody to do. And, you know, I don't claim to have the best culture, right? Every, every culture is unique and everybody has their own vision of what that should look like. I, I, I would never, um, I, I wouldn't want it to be exclusively bogged down in, right? Performance oriented things. Right. So for us, we, we walked in and we said, Hey, what are the, what are the, uh, the normal behaviors that occur right now? Good and bad. Right. And we really looked at the leaders that were in the building. I looked at the leaders that were in the building and said, right, what are the good and the bad behaviors? And I went after the leaders and I said, hey, we're going to amplify the good behaviors. We need to root out the bad behaviors. And we need to like define these, right? And we need to put them on paper. So we have a full, and I, I think you've seen this, Carm, but it's a full one page. Here's a bunch of behaviors that are acceptable. Here's a bunch of behaviors that are not acceptable. And, you know, we defined that. None of it has anything to do with how well you do your job. All of it is these soft skills. Um, you know, so I, I think performance is part of that culture, but I, I would never want to like forget about the rest of that because none of, none of the things that came out of my people's mouth were, you know, hey, we, we turn a lot of hours. Do you think that's a good starting point, um, that side? Or do you think the goal and number side is a good starting point? Um, I, so me, I would almost immediately start with the soft skills. I would, I would always start with soft skills. Um, what we've seen, you know, and what I've seen, and you know, I've owned shops for 11 years, is um, if your people enjoy working with each other, they'll produce far more work, far, 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 far more work, right, um, than they will if all you talk about is, hey, perform more work, right? Um, you know, if they can show up and be happy and, and enjoy the culture, right, you're, you're going to get far more performance out of them. I'm going to tell you, it's painstaking, Right? Oh, it's yeah. painstaking to create a culture where people like each other because you got to uproot some things and you got to uproot some people. Um, you know, and you know, if the culture, and here's, I want to be clear about this too. Uh, uh, you can have a culture that's all about performance and I wouldn't say that's better or worse. I would say, right. Do you have the leadership to sustain a, a culture of, you know, performance oriented, right. And do you have the people in the building to align with that? Right. So I would, because here's the deal: if you don't have guys in your in your in your shop right now, and not you, Eric, just people in general, if you don't have guys in your shop right now that can actually do the work, um, it's irrelevant. You can go talk about performance to your blue in the face if you don't have the people that are perform the work. Right? You know, so I, I would almost always start with the behavioral soft skill side of it. Right? How how do we want to treat each other? Right? And and that will right radiate out as well. Um, something I've learned is right. We, we get into these soft cultural things and that stuff radiates right out to the customer. They walk in the door and they are like, something is different. Yeah. So I, I, that's, that's where we started. I think I'm guilty uh, of um, uh, looking at those items. You described the soft skills during the interview process mm -hmm. of an employee, because, you know, I have a pretty thorough interview process mm -hmm. and, and we talk about those things and I'm 100% guilty 
of not following through after the hiring to enhance, you know, those soft skills. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree. I agree uh, with Kirk on that. Uh, and if I was to define what you're, what you're talking about, Kirk, I would call it common values or shared values. Yep. And, and, and that's, boy, that's the first thing that I believe there is that should be focused on provided that the, that the company is solvent. And, and that's why I bring up the financial piece first, because um, not because it's the most important, but without the financial piece, there is no company. Um, so I think what you said that was pivotal for me was there, there's nothing if you don't have people that can do their job. And so when I think about people doing their job, I want to give them uh, a clear expectation of what their job should result in. Um, but uh, uh, along the lines of the common values, I've got a, one, of my, one of my slides here which I really like. So loyalty is the number one thing that employees want and that employers want from employees. Uh, enhanced work experience is number two. And I think enhanced work experience is, is one of those places where, where we can do wonderful, wonderful things for our staff um, in staff meetings. Just asking the staff what they want um, can be crazy uh, and fun. One of the things that that came from a staff meeting uh, at, at our shop was uh, one of the one of the guys flippantly said, "I think we should get massages at work." Well, how hard is that? You know, there, there's there's a million massage therapists out there that need car work done. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> They're easy to find, and uh, and to have a uh, you know to give them fifteen, twenty, thirty minutes uh, was was amazing, and and now uh, now our staff has the ability to schedule as part of their, um, as, as part of their medical package. We have a massage therapist that they can go online, schedule with, go over during lunch, go over after work. Every now and then we have them come in during the day. And, uh, and of course the conversation is, boy, we're not, we're not turning any wrenches. We're not fixing any cars. How can, how can we do this during the day? Well, the answer is, is that with an enhanced work experience with this environment, that's so wonderful mm-hmm we get more done. I sure. mean, people love, you know, for the shops that close for lunch. Um, I, I think across the board, if you were to ask owners, how were you affected financially back to the financials? Mm-hmm. How were you affected financially when you started closing for lunch? And I, I believe that overwhelmingly you'd find that they made more money. The massage uh, portion was unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> it was outside the box for us. That's for sure. But they said it. And, and so often our staff says things, we go to ask them, hey, you know, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? And with your behavior, with his behavior, with our behavior, what do you want? And, and, uh, and when you actually ask them and stop and listen, you, you realize, shoot, they've, they've been telling me all along. Mm-hmm. Yep. I hear you say family without saying it. That's what I hear a lot. We spend a lot of time with these folks. More than family sometimes. And, and I also heard the word love in there a little bit. See, I'm an advocate of the word love inside of a business. And I think if you le- use the verb side of it, it's an, it's an action for caring for each other. You ever, you ever talk about, uh, God, we, we, we love this team. We, we love each other. We, we care. We, we use a term called the love bank. 
So, um, yeah, of course. You know, so, I mean, we, we look at interpersonal interactions and, and this came from a book, his needs, her needs. I'm pretty sure is where I got this from. Um, but they talk about the love bank, right? So when you have an interaction with another human, um, you can either make a deposit or a withdrawal. Right? You know, so we, we are conscious about constantly making deposits, right? I want to make a deposit, right? I, I, the last thing I want to do is take from you emotionally, right? So every time we speak and, and when we have a problem, we talk about, Hey, we have a people problem, right? We think car's broken and I got a problem because a bolt broke. No, that's a person. That's a, that's a people problem, right? Which is the customer has a problem now, right? That car doesn't care if it ever gets fixed, right? So we look at everything from this, this people perspective or, you know, human interaction perspective. And we talk about the love bank, right? I, I want to make, 50 deposits for one withdrawal because withdrawals are far bigger, right? Than the incremental deposits, you know, and, and that is a concept we, we discuss openly. You know? So yeah, everything we talk about is, is, is love oriented. Guys, I, I can't help but go back to c- consider our listener a, a shop that's just struggling, you know, to get those P&Ls, that profitability right, but loves the concept of culture. And do you have to have the profit to build the culture? Or if you start working on the culture, will the profits actually start showing up in a better way? Now, I, I understand there could be issues with, with margin and, and, and revenue streams and payroll. I get all that. But do you have to have the profit bill before you get the culture? I think that it, back to the top of the conversation, employees pay attention to what leaders pay attention to. Yep. Um, so if, if we're paying attention to and making sure that the company is strong and the staff sees that, then, then we start to build uh, trust. If you wanted to have a trust bank account along with the love bank account, mm-hmm. uh, if, if your staff cannot trust you to decide where the ship is going to sail. If, if rather you're down working in the motor room, speaking metaphorically and not paying attention to uh, the direction of the ship or the destination, um, then, then again, you have allowed culture to occur without any, uh, with any real, without any real guidance. So I think that, yes, there, there needs to be at least if you're not profitable, if you're not, in a, in a position of power with your, with your financials, at least there is a, uh, there is an interest in, in trying in making the effort that the staff sees you paying the bills. Uh, one of the, one of the things that, uh, one of my um, newest employees came in the other day and, uh, he said, uh, Oh, paying the bills. This was on a Tuesday. I pay them on Thursdays. Yep. Yep. Just getting the bills all paid. Great. So is there going to be enough left for Thursday? I said, always. Absolutely. And then I shared with him that we have two, two months of operating capital in the bank account all the time. And he walked out smiling. He was like, okay, this is a good ship to work on. Huge assurance right there right there in his emotional bank account. Oh, yeah. He felt good. You shared with him the inner workings of the company and, and, and that you, you have mouths to feed. And, and he, right. he, he was comfortable with that. This has been absolutely great. Now, I want to ask a couple of things about pulling the levers and getting started. Now, I know you talked about a lot of this stuff, but is it possible that you each could share, and I know you're working on stuff right now, Eric and Bill and, and Kirk, you guys are, are deep into a strong culture in your companies. 
besides the P&L issue, Bill, let's let's set that on the side. I have a great P&L. I'm making some money, but I'm struggling with my culture. Give me each of you. Give me give me a couple of one or two bullet points so that these these could be great takeaways for people wanting to start to build a great culture, knowing knowing that not all will be on board. It all begins with communication. I think uh, Kirk said it best. His his entire focus uh, to, at this point, with a, obviously a very advanced culture, uh, it, it revolves around the way that he communicates and the way that he expects his staff to communicate and the fact that they actually review with behavior. I'm sure a huge part of behavior is, is the communication. Um, another shameless plug, I'll be teaching a class on communication at STX too, because it's, it, you just can't have uh, enough practice. And it's something that we have to constantly practice. It's something that we need to um, look for opportunities to, to work on it, whether you're reading books about it, um, practicing it with your staff, asking for feedback on your communication from your from your loved ones, the people that are nearest you. Communication. It's if it was easy, <laughs> everybody'd already have a great culture. Add to that, Kirk. For people who aren't that interested in doing all of the hard work, right? To say, here's a defined culture. Here's the norms. Let me go through this. Um, at a minimum, if you want to just like alter your culture, um, be a strong leader. People, people will take cues from the leader. Eyes are constantly on the leader, right? And the behavior that you exhibit, right? Your people will will follow, will watch, and say, "Hey, here, here's the behavior I see from the leader. Here's the behavior that I, I'm left to think is appropriate for right to fit into this culture, right? So if if you're a leader worth following, that that will that will literally make your culture. 10 times better immediately, right? So if you, if, if you can look within yourself and say, what are the behaviors that I need to get rid of? Um, what are the behaviors that I need to like reinforce and you know, show my people, right? Your, your culture will change pretty quickly. I just love, love what you're saying. Let me, let me interrupt and add something mm-hmm. to that. You know, Bill, the T-chart, the, the pluses and the negative behaviors you're, you're looking for is a great start. Do it yourself, then share it with your people and see if they could add or subtract to either side and let them slowly get a feel on paper where you are thinking and why are we doing this, boss? Because this, these are things we need to do more of and less of. It's almost like a great first step, but I agree with you on the leadership piece. If if you're going, hey, guys, come and see my new avalanche. Isn't it great? And they haven't had a raise in three years. Mm-hmm. That's the wrong message. So I think the other thing in this is, you know, something we do regularly with every single person in the building. Um, we sit down every three months. We go through a formal and it's it's quick. We spend no more than 20 minutes, but we sit down with every single employee and discuss behavior against what we have defined as cultural norms. Right. So we, we, we sit down in a room and, and we we assess behavior, which yeah, I don't always love saying that because I feel like it's 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 a little bit uh, rudimentary or elementary. Even we just value how we treat each other and the, the the behavioral norms within our organization probably more than we value anything else. Give me an idea of what comes out of those meetings. Uh, I don't know. Grown men cry um, for good and bad reasons. Um, we get yelled at. I don't know um, all sorts of things uh, because. Yeah, well, you got to be honest, um, you know, and if, and that's that's like this hard, gut wrenching, um, painstaking part of it is you have to be willing to be honest if you want to alter the culture. 
Do you feel like a parent sometimes? Yeah, paternalistic a little bit, um, but here's the deal. I, I'm subject to the same review, right? I, I don't. What I don't do is say I get to assess all of you, and at this point, I don't really do any of the assessments. Um, you know, one of our managers, John, does all of the assessments, but I, I sit in on on multiple of the reviews. But I'm I'm subject to the same exact review, you know. And and we get into when when people want to talk about this, I say, hey, if your strength is assessing other people and their behavior right? and, and working your way through these conversations, I would love for you to do it because it's gut-wrenching for me. You know, now, now it gets into, right, what are, what are, what are your strengths? What are, your, what are you good at? What, what is an appropriate thing for you to be doing? But, um, you know, I, you know I, I'm, I'm just a subject to them. In the beginning, it, when you were doing these, Kirk, what, um, what, what were you learning about you in the early days? I'm not nearly as tough as I thought I was. Um, you know, so you get into this, I'll tell them such and such. Right. And then when you sit down and write this on paper um, and you got to sit in a room in a, in a non heated conversation in which you're trying to get someone to understand, recognize their behaviors and alter their behaviors. Yeah. You're just not as tough as you think you are from a, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell this guy. Um, it, it's really easy to tell people when you're angry. You know, which is not super productive in general. And, um, you know, you're sitting down saying, we're going to have a, we're going to have a nice civil conversation and I'm going to deliver some bad news to you. Yeah. It, 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 I learned I'm not as tough as I thought it was. Thank you for that. Kurt, uh, Eric, it, with all that you've been hearing now and, and you are on your, you are on your way. My journey. Your journey. What, what have you taken away from this at this current moment? Well, the first thing I do is look inward you know, I'm the captain of the ship, you know, I've owned this business for 24 years and I've owned two shops, a record business at any point I had 28 employees. And I think when I looked inward and thought over the last 24 years, you know, I was disappointed by so many people. Um, and I am sure I disappointed them. And, you know, I've had employees steal, um, employees quit, um, so on and so forth. And I think it hardened me. And so I think that's where I went wrong with my culture because I was too hard. And it was almost like get them before they get me. And, you know, that's why I'm being open and honest on this, you know, forum that I think that's where I was at and I'm moving away from that. Um, so looking inward was first. Second, you know, I started off as a technician, right? And then I moved to owner. And sometimes um, I blurred those lines of shop talk and where my role is from being a technician 24 years ago, you know, to now. Um, and I think one bullet point, um, and Cecil turned me on to a book called uh, Nine Minutes on Monday, I believe is the name. And I just finished it. And for anyone wanting to start um, this journey, like I am, uh, that has some really good points. Um, just a few minutes each week on concrete examples of what you can do to shift that, you know, culture and focus. You know, Eric is going to Bill and Kirk uh, probably come up uh, against a few roadblocks. And I'd like to ask both of you, as you look back into your culture development in the business, um, can you share with us a couple of examples of uh, people that didn't make the cut and why? 
countless. Obviously, this is public, so I, you know, I got <laughs> the names are changed to protect. Yeah, the I mean, I got I got to watch specific stories. Um, some challenges. Um, you know, there's going to be resistance. I, you know, just I, I don't. I think that's sort of obvious. Um, you know, but there's going to be resistance, and what and I have also learned this. I now own a very large shop. I started in a very small shop that basically was me and three employees. And I was still this like cultural, I love you, you love me zealot. And I really was. And it was brutally difficult. It was brutally difficult because, right? I think some of Bill's point is, right? You still need to pay the bills, right? So when you want to look at someone and say, hey, here's the truth, right? What do they sometimes look at you and say, hey, I'm no longer interested in the truth. Bye, right? I quit. Uh, this is this is this touchy feely emotional stuff that you know, and and that's where I'm coming at from culture, right? Um, I'm not interested in it, so see you later, right? And when you have a you know a three four person operation, you know you, you lose you lose one person, you've lost twenty five percent of the staff, um, you know, so it gets scary and it is challenging and it's a much longer journey uh, to build culture in a small shop than I think it is in in a larger shop, honestly, um, and it's, it's I know it's scarier. It's just scarier because you're constantly up against the, um, if this technician walks out the door, it's not like I have six, I can just hire tomorrow. So, um, you know, that's a huge challenge. And, you know, I mean, I could probably go on and on and on about what that looks like in a small shop. Okay, in your 11 years, uh, you can count on two hands where the challenges were huge. Four hands. Every single day in my small shop that I owned for 10 years, the challenges were huge from a cultural standpoint. I guess my point is, Bill, I'm trying to get across that there's no pixie dust that goes on this thing and it makes it work. I really, really like what Kirk is doing. I I think that our ego gets involved in so much of this. What Kirk was talking about, you know, I'm going to go yell at this guy. And then when you actually sit down, you don't yell at him. I, I think... When, when we anticipate, we have these internal conversations with ourselves about the guy that's late every day, right? And I'm, man, I'll tell you what, the next time he's late, I'm going to sit down and uh, him down in the office with the door closed and we're going to have a conversation about this. And, and when we actually sit down, what we, what we find are more often than not people who just didn't understand, they, they, they didn't think you were paying attention. They didn't think it was important that they showed up on time. You never mm-hmm. said anything. So what Kirk is doing is he's taking the, he's taking the air out of that balloon, that balloon that says, Oh my gosh, this guy's going to quit or I'm going to fire him. This is horrible. Because instead of having a, a, um, a sit down that no one's expecting Kirk coming to my office, we need to have a talk. Oh boy. The pit goes in his stomach. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead it's time for the quarterly conversation. It's beautiful. Yep. I think yep. it's wonderful. Um, as far as, as to answer your question, Carm, um, as far as staff that, that just didn't, that just didn't go with the, the flow, it's perfect because if you're having the conversations about these shared values, as we talked about earlier, and they don't share the same values as everyone else in the shop, then it's good for them. And it's good for you that they're not there. I mean, I, I can give I can give you a story to powerful culture, right? That is a story I'm willing to share that doesn't, you know, uh, probably pinpoint one person because um, this has happened on multiple occasions. We've hired people. <laughs> this is how strong our culture is, right? This is how strong right, these people value this. They have come right as a group, as you know, we have eight technicians and four service advisors and a manager um, as a group, right? Came to right me and the manager and said, "Hey, uh, new hire." Hard no, 
nope, not a cultural fit, must go. Don't care how much work that guy can produce. Not interested in like hanging out with that guy 42 hours a week. Pass. See ya. Like, and, and if he doesn't go, we go. It's a gang fire. Yeah, because, and this is why it's tough. So you have to, right, as the leader, as the manager, you have to look at this and say, uh, the numbers are great from this guy. He's paid appropriately. He produces a ton of work. This is going to hurt financially, right? But the culture wins, right? And the people are like, I don't care how much financially it hurts. I don't want to hang out with this guy 42 hours a week. So either he goes, right? Or we don't believe anything you say because what you say constantly is culture trumps numbers, right? Culture trumps everything. Isn't so that, you got to live into that. That's the point. I think that the, the strength, the founding granite of a good culture is that you're unwilling to move from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where the magic happens. I, I, I think sometimes we don't, we see all of a sudden everything is just clicking and working and, and, uh, and it is, it's due to a healthy work culture when, when you just can't explain how well things are going and you're getting these great reviews, your staff is happy. Mm -hmm. The, The customers are telling stories about your company and bragging about their shop that they do business with. It's, it's cultural. It yep. is. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. Yep. One and, thing on, on yeah. hiring that I think uh, um, goes to culture. I was at the ratchet and wrench conference in Chicago and we were doing a round table discussion. I think it was someone from elite. He said that in general, you hire people for what they know, but you fire them for who they are. If you think about that one for a while, That's right. it's, be true yeah. each time and exactly what Kirk was saying uh, with a gang fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so one of the things we, our, our interview process is almost exclusively behavioral and do you match with our core values? Like, like we have formed I, countless questions around if we hired you, do we want to be around you? I, I can give you the it, technicians get a little bit trickier, right? But as a service advisor, I can give you many of the skills in a pretty short period of time to be a relatively effective service advisor. Um, I'm not interested in you being the greatest salesperson ever. Um, if you're a jerk to deal with, I'll pass, right? And, you know, and I say jerk, I, I mean, really, if you don't fit with our culture, right? I, I think for the people we pass on, a lot of times there's wonderful places for them to work. It's just not our place. Um, you know, so we, we hire and I mean, we not fire, we, we do fire for it, but we hire almost exclusively for cultural fit. That that's, that's the process. Kirk, it took you a long time, Bill, a long time. I mean, let us get a perspective of uh, what it really takes on day one from a good leadership position, from a good communications position, having the numbers and sharing them with your people and, and managing the behaviors. And then there's that motivation piece. Uh, give if I wanted to start from scratch, Eric starting not from scratch, but Eric is starting. Give Eric Kirk and Bill a timeline that he w- would expect to see the shift. Yeah, how, how big I is think, your shop? <laughs> currently, three bays. We have uh, five employees, but we're about to move to seven bays, and we'll have nine employees. Okay, I think the moment that you turn your intention towards. Having a the culture that you want, you you start to experience it. You start to experience the cultural change from within. Kirk talked a lot about uh, his own feelings and being a touchy feely, uh, if you will, with this with this whole process. As soon as you um, got really serious about it, Eric, I'm I'm sure that it it probably felt great 
Uh, it, it, it's, it begins with intention. It, it follows through with sharing your intentions, the vision that you have, that you want, um, and being the person that you want them to be. We, we teach so much by example. Um, if, we, if, if, if we show up late every day, to work, uh, and and it's not discussed that you're doing something important. You're just late because you're late. Your staff is going to believe that you don't value being on time. Just a small example. You need to be um, who who you want to be. Kirk, um, you know, so, so you know, here's one of your deficits. I think is right. You you have all sorts of um, failures as a leader that they've seen for the last how many ever years, right? I walked into a large shop that I got to walk in and basically paint whatever picture I wanted, right? Um, because I was new to it, right? So I could say, here's the good, here's the bad. Um, you know, I, I would start by being completely open with people, just like Bill is saying, like, um, you know, hey, we need to change this. I see this as a leader. I'm the one who's, right, the culture that isn't what I, you know, maybe your culture isn't dysfunctional, right? But if, if that's basically what you're saying, hey, we need to alter this, right? I'm the one who's let it get to where it is. I mean, that that's that's on me. Yeah, um, take ownership, right? Um, you know, as the leader, that is that is essentially your responsibility. Um, and then you're going to have to prove that out over a long period of time, right? And that was that was something that I had to do in Livonia over a long period of time because when I was 24, I was not an effective leader. I was not an effective manager, and that's when I bought my first shot. Right. So I had, we had probably five, six years of me really not being a good leader, not grasping culture. And it took me a while to overcome that. You know, it took me a while to prove to them that I was serious about this, right? That I wasn't joking, that, you know, the way we interact with each other matters. Um, and that's what radiates outwards, right? I, I don't want great salespeople, right? I want people who are empathetic. I want people who care about people, right? Even within our own organization. Um, and I want technicians who are empathetic, right? So it took me a long time to, you know, prove that to them that that was valuable. And once, once they knew I was serious, right, that, that's when we, you know, we, we turned the corner there and, you know, culture did change. I also defined it. I also sat down and said, here are all of the behaviors that currently exist. Here are the behaviors that right, I don't like. Here are the behaviors I do like. And oh, by the way, I need all of your input and the behaviors that you do like, that you don't like, that I'm not aware of, right? And we need to have an open conversation about this, right, as a company. And we spent a lot of time discussing um, all of these abstract behavioral things. So what happens if you're, um, you have the employee service advisor who um, is empathetic, um, is there every day, you know, he loved working with them, mm -hmm. but he does not hit the numbers or she does not hit the numbers. And mm -hmm. no matter, you know, you coached them and everything mm -hmm. else. How do you, how do you marry great culture and then the numbers? How do you marry them? I mean, uh, <laughs> so part of our, part of one of our core values is results, right? Um, and we want to see behavior associated with the results. Now here's the deal. In the end, um, we can look at you and say, if you're not producing the results, you're also not going to fit. Right. Um, you know, and we, we've, you know, we've, we've terminated people because, because of their performance. But what, what I have seen is, um, you know, you can take people, put them in a culture, right? Take a classic underperformer, put them in a culture that expects results and they'll, and they'll, they'll improve. Now to answer your question, sometimes you say, here's the deal. We, we have a wonderful cultural fit. You can't do the job. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, so it's not, you know, it's not all rainbows and everybody says, oh, yeah, I fit the culture and I do my job so well. Like, no, sometimes you still suck at your job. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's not a Disney movie, is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a it's a it's a great point to bring up um, that what Kirk said that the result is one of their behaviors, and I, I get the point I'm trying to get across because I'm trying to listen to this as if I was a service professional that was struggling struggling with culture. I was a tech who's now a business owner, and I, and I know I've got to do some really important things to grow and, and, and to improve my business, and and I think. Um, leaders, you know, they always say, well, leaders are born, and we all know that's not true. You can all become a great leader. A cultural leader, same thing, Bill? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, uh, what I was kind of playing over in my head as as both uh, Eric and Kirk were talking is, is uh, and, and we haven't talked about it this morning much, is, is uh, when we have these opportunities to speak with our staff, uh, it is telling them what we like, telling them what they did right, telling them, um, telling them the good things as well as the bad, which I'm sure come out of the conversation that, that Kirk has quarterly. And I'm, and I'm sure has been, um, coming for, for Eric as, as you go along. Um, you know, there's the, there's the, the there's a technique called the, the positive, negative, positive, the PNP, uh, where you, you, you sandwich that, that, um, uh, behavior that needs correcting between, a couple compliments, a couple nice things. One thing that I feel very strongly about, back to Kirk was talking about interviewing and hiring, is people's strengths. Um, Marcus Buckingham's Now Discover Your Strengths is one of my favorite all-time books. And in fact, before someone even gets an interview at our shop, they need to complete their strengths finder so I can review their strengths and decide whether or not they're going to fit. And if they don't fit, that's fine. They don't get an interview. I send them a letter that says, thank you very much. Uh, and, and, and they're on their way without investing a whole lot of emotional time in this interview process. Um, it doesn't mean they're a bad person, but there are particular strengths that fit with our culture, uh, that fit in the automotive industry culture, quite frankly. And if you, if you spend a whole bunch of time trying to run damage control, trying to correct what people do not naturally do, then they will never be great. The only way that people can be great in your company is if you help them to focus on their strengths. If they don't sell well because they're just afraid of selling, for instance, as a service advisor, well, let's let's talk about... Are, are they a great communicator? They're just afraid of selling. Okay, they're a great communicator. How can we take this great communication and, and bend it to where the person actually wants to buy from them? Uh, you know, and maybe that's your, maybe that's your electronic uh, um, inspection process where, where you allow the technology to do the selling and you just have great conversations. Or maybe you're a great salesman and you're really pushy and you're, and, and you're not a great communicator. Um, you know, there's, there's ways to, there's ways to take people's strengths and bend them into what you want. You know, Tiger Woods was a great long gamer, uh, and a great putter. He sucked at his, at his short game. It's part of the book. Um, now discover your strengths. And, and he took a year off to focus on his drive and his putting, not his middle game, not, not coming out of the rough, not sand traps. Mm -hmm. That's damage control. And, and I don't think strengths finder is the end all be all. There's a million things you sure. can do that, that, that with all this, everything that we're talking about today, culture is, is founded in consistency. You have to be consistent with whatever you're doing. If you're going to have an interview process, don't change the process every time you interview someone. 
even if you put together an interview sheet that has 10 questions and, and you're finding, oh my gosh, you know, the, every time I interview someone and they're a 10, I end up firing them. Well, that's okay. Just know that it's the eight that you're looking for. Don't change the form. Don't try and create this world where the, the, the test is the, is the ultimate goal. The, the ultimate goal is to be consistent and find what works for you with your culture and your shared values of your shop. Uh, and 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 getting people into that shared uh, environment. I I love where we went with this, and I think we can go on and we could talk two more, two more hours and, and and get all your you know really cool stories about the success piece of of building a great culture. And for you, Eric, wow, um, you know, to hang out and tell us about your journey. Uh, maybe what we need to do is to come back in a year with you, you three, and and talk about where culture is today in business and and how you're doing. So I, I want to summarize, I want to go around the room, and uh, this may not perfectly apply to you, Eric, but I think it may, and I'm gonna, this is a big challenge. Give, give me a, you know, a, a one or two minute story about a, a transformation uh, of a person who works with you uh, into your culture. Uh, if, you, if you could you know, put, go on record to say, hey, we, we move this person from zero to hero because of our culture. I come up with many examples. Um, you know, I, I do want to say this, right? And I think this ties in. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking in my brain, like everything I've said basically sounds like it's misery to do this pro- to go through this process, right? Um, which it can be. Um, we also get to sit down and review. Time out. It can be for people for for people that just aren't good at this. I mean, there's a lot of people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that aren't good communicators, but they're shop owners, mm-hmm. and they love talking to cars, but not to people. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think that all the time I also try to not paint with a super broad brush. So, um, you know, but it's, it can be right. And, you know, I think what you're asking for is like, Hey, where, where's somebody, you know, give me a story of somebody who's changed. And, you know, I mean, we have somebody in our building right now who, you know, when we hired him, so we interviewed him and he said, I don't want to be in this industry. Somebody you fired six months ago told me I should come here and talk to you. And I said, someone I fired, said, you should come here. And he said, yeah. And I said, explain. And he said, the culture here is amazing. He knew he didn't fit. He appreciated you letting him go. So now I'm here because right, he thinks I would fit. And I said, very, very interesting. So we, we ended up hiring this guy. Um, you know, he's not the most ideal fit I've ever seen. And, uh, you know, he's two years into his employment. And at this point, you know, they, we love the guy. Um, you know, but we went through... You know, at month three, that's when we do our, you know, our first review. It was ugly. It was, uh, you know, no, uh, no, uh, no. We love you as a person, but these type of things, right, where you're taking, you're taking tickets and hiding them in your toolbox because you want to make sure you get them is a hard no, right? Like that, that, that does not fit with our, doesn't even fit with our pay plan, right? Like that, made, that would make no sense for him to do that, right? But it was these behavioral things where we're like, yeah, no, no, we're not doing any of these things. And at this point, right, we get to sit in a review and have a wonderful conversation with that person, right? And we have 13, 14 people that we do these reviews for. And at this point, um, we've had hiccups, I think, with probably eh, 10 out of the 13, you know, but we basically get to sit down and spend 20 minutes heaping praise on somebody saying, you're awesome, right? We, we love, we, we love spending days with you because right, your, your behavior aligns with right, the behavior that we want to see. And that makes it very, very enjoyable. I don't have to do a ton of like managing, um, 
managing childish behavior. We just don't do that here. So, um, you know, and we, we've taken some people who really, really acted like child or children and right. And through these review processes, it has changed, you know, how they do behave. Thank you for that. One of the things that I, I really want to highlight that I continued to hear the, this whole hour is it's never the person. It's always the behavior. And, and I think that is so critical from a leadership's perspective. You never want the person to leave the room and to feel that it was, it was that they're a bad person. It's just that the behaviors that they're demonstrating doesn't work in our world, in our culture, in our business. And, and, and I think that's an important point. Bill? Uh, I would say that as, as trust is built, we emerge as the leader. And until we emerge as the leader, we're not going to be able to transform or affect any transformation uh, of this individual into our culture. My uh, person I hired about a year ago, it became incredibly uh, apparent that he had uh, his trust violated by employers and people in his life uh, for, for much of his life. And it, it was very clear because he would, he would say, you know, I, I, I don't believe that, or you're going to have to show me, uh, was his kind of communication style. And really, um, we didn't start to succeed together until he truly believed that he could, that he could trust the people around him, not just me, but the entire staff. Good story. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. A couple things. I think, uh, one example that almost every shop owner can probably think back is when you've, you know, had to let an employee go and then all the other employees come and tell you how thankful they are. That employee is not there anymore. And you had no idea how bad it was. You know, you didn't see what they were seeing. Um, I know that's not exactly what you were asking for, but I think it goes to how important culture is. Yeah, um, um, I, I've been there so many times. It, it's, you, there's, an, a bl- there's a blinder effect almost. Yes. Um, and, you know, on more to your question, and we did the podcast with, you know, my employee Rex. And, you know, he came in you know, young. And um, even though I think on this podcast, it made it seem like I don't have a culture. We do have a culture. We're trying to improve it. And, you yep. know, we do have a successful shop and we do great work and we love what we do and we're just trying to make it better. And so I think, yeah, thanks for being here and being vulnerable. You're in the vulnerable position, if you will, not that, listen, I admire what you do and, and, and the growth that you've had and the people that you hire. With Rex, you know, he, he had the same ideals that I had that, you know, we want to do quality work. We want to give customers peace of mind that, you know, we want to know about their family. We want to know about, you know, if we can spend less time talking about their car, right, more time talking about them, you know, we built that relationship. And so, you know, we, we all kind of like that. And so um, Rex definitely fits in with that. And it's so nice when, you know, him being 24 years old, you know, and even when he was 21 years old, customers came and searched for him. Hey, where's Rex at? And they wanted to go out and shake his hand. And, you know, I had a, uh, I had a doctor come in yesterday um, with Alexis and wanted Rex to work on his car and only Rex. So that's pretty nice. Oh, cool. Hey, great guys. Listen, revving up your culture, Town Hall Academy, Kirk Richardson, Rochester, Michigan, Eric Svedberg in Virginia Beach, and Bill Greeno out there in Truckee, California. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. 
Until next time. <laughs>